everybody, and welcome back to Feels Like Weezer. Um, it's just me, just Zach, today. I'm flying solo. We're taking a little bit of a longer hiatus than we thought we were going to. There's just some stuff kind of happening in the background, which we've got some exciting things coming up here. Um, but we still wanted to give you something this week. So... We decided that since we're starting Pinkerton here in a couple of weeks, we are for sure not back next week, but the week after. We, I figured we could we could take a look at a take a look at the history of Pinkerton and find out why this album that was just completely panned at release became the cult sensation that it is today. So, um, just just telling you. We do have some big news coming up at the end of the episode, so make sure you stick through the whole thing, not just listen to the good stuff. So, if you were to ask any Weezer fan what their favorite album is, chances are pretty high you're going to get one of two answers. The first group's going to say the Blue Album. I mean, we covered that, so you kind of know why that's the case. It's really not that surprising. Weezer came around at the perfect time in music. It it was kind of a a companion group to Nirvana. In a way, um, they were uh, a less gritty, uh, more joyful sounding version. So instead of focusing on, you know, the harder parts of life, Weezer focuses on the basics, which, you know, love, friendship, having fun, but if you scratch below the surface a little bit, you hear the pain and sadness that Rivers Cuomo was feeling while he was writing this. Obviously, we, we covered a lot of this stuff. It's, but it, it feels close to Nirvana in a way. Um, not saying exactly that that's, that that's the case, but um, you can definitely draw a comparison between the two. It's, you know, because you've got Nirvana, which is dark and gritty. You've got Weezer, which is happy. And the Blue Album, specifically. It's, you know, so you, you've got kind of the same message, but it's it's packaged a little bit differently. Um, and most of these fans, they've been there from the beginning. You know, they watch Weezer grow and change with the times. And they see that they're always reaching for the success and the sound of the Blue Album. But they fall short, you know. And I, the, the closest to that, you know, is Pinkerton. It could be that these people, like me, um, who enjoy Blue better than Pinkerton, they just enjoy the goofy lyrics, you know, and they, they can see a lot of themselves reflected in the Blue album. Um, there's this jubilance that masks a, a deeper inner pain. Take a look at The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. I mean, just read those lyrics again, or listen to episode three of the podcast, um, you know, and if that doesn't describe a heartache that every high school or college student, you know, somebody in their older teens, younger 20s has felt, then I really don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what would. Um, so like I said, we got two groups. The, the first group, you know, most of them will say blue. Then there's me. I'm not really in a group who says everything will be all right in the end because, honestly, it is the best album they've ever put out. Fight me. Uh, but the other group, the main other group, is going to say that Pinkerton is their favorite album. And I've pretty well expressed myself in the past couple of episodes about my feelings towards Pinkerton. And, you know, they're not uh, 
the norm, but I was thinking about this, and I I asked myself, why do people think that Pinkerton is such a great album? Why do they think that Pinkerton is the quintessential Weezer? Um, So I decided we kind of take a deep dive. First, we're going to talk about a little little bit about the history, and then we're going to talk about uh, critical reception, and um, I'll do a little op-ed there at the end as well, but... um, So, the band took a break from touring during the winter season in 1994. Um, Rivers went back to Connecticut. The other guys, you know, they were were doing their own thing. So, between the festivities, inspiration struck him. So, he pulled out his trusty 8-track recorder and began putting together a demo for a new album called Songs from the Black Hole. Um, It's this space-themed rock opera, which we're going to be talking about quite a bit in the next couple of episodes. So in early 95, the, the band would get together and um, work on demos for it and then just try to kind of piece this album together. Um, however, Rivers, he had to have a surgery on his legs. So it was uh, the problem was that one of his legs was longer than the other one. So he had to, you know, get that corrected. Um, but between the painkillers and this disillusionment that he felt with the rock lifestyle, he decided to drop the concept album. Um, so what, uh, so what they did was that in August of 95, they got together, um, they did a two week recording session and this was before Rivers was going to head off to Harvard. Brian Bell, he had said that, um, the new songs were deeper, darker, more experimental stuff, you know, um. It is important to note that most of the stuff that they recorded here was written before the Blue Album was released. Um, But a majority of the album was written by Rivers while he was at Harvard. Uh, Many of the songs were inspired by small things that happened in his life. Uh, You know, not being able to talk to a crush, feeling that, you know, shyness, that crippling shyness. Um, You know, a letter from a fan uh, inspired Across the Sea, which we'll definitely talk about. Um, and you know, even a taco sauce packet, which we'll talk about in a little bit more in El Scorcho, but it's also important to say that the, the album is largely based on Puccini's opera, Madama Butterfly. Um, so the basic plot is that, uh, this man, B.F. Pinkerton, see, there's, there's where the, there's where the Pinkerton comes in. Um, he's stationed in Japan and he falls in love with a geisha named Chocho-san. So the whole opera is about sexual longing and lost love, which, you know, are both major themes in the story River is trying to tell in Pinkerton. By mid-1996, the album was done. It was ready to go. They needed a producer, and they decided that they're going to produce themselves this time. So it gave them a lot of room to be creative with the design, the videos, everything. Um, and this led to a lot of good and bad decisions on their part. Um, so the, the good, I guess, depending on your opinion is that, you know, the label wanted to go with something more similar to blue instead of doing that, uh, Weezer went with what Pinkerton is now. Um, you know, this harsh, brash, heavy sound, you know, it sounds like you're listening to someone playing, you know, in a garage or at a punk show or something. And that's in a good way. The, the music 
um, is not the problem with Pinkerton, especially for me. Anyway, another good thing that they did was the album itself. I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of a mini work of art. Um, on some of the older editions, when you viewed it at an angle with certain lighting, you could see that there's like this soft image of a geisha in there. And if you were to open up the jewel case, there's a map with a bunch of references to who inspired Rivers during the writing of Pinkerton. So, you know, Ace Frehley, um, you know, the Beach Boys, and, um, you know, of course, my, there's a Michael and Carly Island as well. Um, as we kind of talked about in the deluxe, deluxe edition, we know why that's important. Um, and the actual CD itself had uh, references to Puccini's opera, you know, and it's written in the original Italian as well. So a lot of thought and care went into packaging this album. Um, now, as I mentioned previously, um, Rivers wasn't thrilled with the rock and roll lifestyle that he saw himself getting into. Um, he hated the the fakeness of people, the constant deluge of groupies, and the long nights and the long days on the road. Um, he really described them as some of the loneliest times of his life. Um, and on top of that, he really hated the commercial aspect of his work. You know, I, I, as I had said, I can't wait until Rivers stops being pretentious, um, which will be pretty soon. So when Spike Jones approached Weezer to shoot the video for their next single, which was El Scorcho, a weird choice, but you know, uh, Rivers refused to do it. Um, he was so mad, as we kind of talked about in the Buddy Holly video, that they were known for that music video that he felt was too campy, too kitschy. You know, he just hated it. And again, if you want more information on that, check out episode four. Um, now, I think that this is where Rivers made a big mistake with the initial release. So without this headlining video from Spike Jones, uh, oh, an, an acclaimed videographer and director, the album was almost rudderless without that. So, I mean, like it or not, Buddy, Buddy Holly is kind of a goofy song about love, and Jones made it something iconic. Um, you know, it, it, it was even featured on the, 19, the Windows 95 startup disc. I mean, come on. Anyway, the album, getting back to, <laughs> getting back to Pinkerton. Um, sales weren't great initially. Um, you know, and after the, the multi-platinum success of the Blue Album, Pinkerton was just a catastrophic failure. And a big part of that was that there was this, uh, a, a legal battle was happening with um, Pinkerton's Incorporated, which is a security firm. They were seeking a two million dollars in damages and ordered that Weezer pull all the records from the shelves. Um, they obviously thought that this was a reference to them. However, Geffen Records and Rivers both tried to convince the firm that it was a reference to Puccini's opera, um, not a corporate entity. You know, because of course, Rivers even went on to write a six-page essay about why the company was wrong in assuming that it was about the, about them. Eventually, the case was thrown out, but I this really did hurt their sales, and I, I think that this was really the death knell for the album in its initial release. Obviously, there's a huge cult following today. Um, 
you know, and El Scorcho wasn't a radio darling, you know, their first album, um, you know, they, they released three really good singles, um, with this one, El Scorcho was not off to a great start, but they really hoped that they were going to make, um, make it up with their second single, which was The Good Life. So since they weren't well received, they decided that they were going to make a more MTV friendly video. Um, Rivers finally gave in and he said it was okay, but it didn't really help um, because The Good Life was received worse than El Scorcho because that's just how it happens, of course. You know, the and the reviews didn't help anything. I mean, they weren't great. You know, they weren't terrible, but they weren't great. It was a very middle-of-the-road kind of thing, um, you know, and River songwriting was called juvenile. They felt the songs were aimless, and it was even ranked the third worst album of the year um, from Rolling Stone. You know, years later, Rivers would say that he was embarrassed by the cult around Pinkerton because it's a, it's a sick album. Um, so, what happened? Why is this album such a huge cultural milestone? Well, after the Pinkerton tour, Matt Sharp quit the band. So Weezer went into a five-year hiatus. Now, during this time, a new style of music was emerging, and that was emo music. Uh, Bands like Dashboard Confessional, Motion City Soundtrack, Jimmy Eat World, all of these incredibly popular groups cited Pinkerton as an influence. So the landscape of music was changing at the time, or what's popular with the age group that Weezer's trying to get to, it's changing. So the album became incredibly popular. Um, Nowadays, user polls, they constantly show Pinkerton as one of the greatest albums of the 90s. Rolling Stone gave it a new review, a 5 out of 5. Uh, Pitchfork gave it a perfect rating. In, two, in 2016, 20 years after the initial release, Pinkerton was certified platinum. And now Rivers has even come around to liking it. So what happened? The fans happened. Without the fans, Pinkerton probably would have just floated into obscurity. You know, Weezer most likely wouldn't have come back after that five-year hiatus. You know, and it's it's because of fans like us, you know. And I think that that really says something about Rivers as a person and Weezer as a group. You know, they, they care so much about what their fans think, almost to a detriment at times, but... Um, it's, it's truly incredible. Now, for me, um, when I was in high school and, you know, early college, so graduating from high school, going into college, Pinkerton was, that was, that was the stuff. Nothing I heard was quite like that album. Uh, you know, you hear these primal cries that Rivers has during Tired of Sex, the, the ache of wanting someone so bad, but they're just not that into you, you know? And the anger and fear of losing someone you think you love. This album was something that I could latch onto as a late teen. 
you know, I was experiencing love and life for the first time. And I felt so connected to this album. They really, they got me. They understood. Uh, you know, it, it's the first time I ever felt connected to music. When I say that Pinkerton's my favorite album, obviously not. I said that at the top of the show. But that at that time, yeah, I would say it is. Now, not so much. So, as you hear in the coming weeks, uh, Pinkerton really doesn't hold up well in the post-Me Too society. Um, you know, Pinkerton in 2019 is problematic. You know, it's, it's full of, you know, pretty racist lyrics and just misogyny abound. Um, and that's why I think this album especially resonates with young men. Um, they feel angry at the world. They, they feel like they're being attacked by society, especially by women who spurn their advances. But, you know, hopefully they'll continue to grow, much like Weezer did. Thank goodness. Otherwise, pretty sure they wouldn't be my favorite band. So, um, so that's pretty much all I've got about Pinkerton. So I know I teased some big news at the beginning. Uh, as Eric would say, I was teasing all over the place. But now I got to tell you, uh, I am so excited to announce that we have signed on with Pantheon um, uh, Music Network. Um, they they have tons of awesome podcasts all about music. There's one about Kiss. Um, Eric's other show, Almost Famous Minute, is going to be a part of it. Uh, there's, there's a great um, group of ladies called Muses doing a good show. And then, of course, Rock and Roll Archaeology, which really started the whole thing uh, for Pantheon. So definitely check them out. Uh, go to rockandrollarchaeology.com. Um, you can also just scroll on down to the show notes. I've got the link in there. Um, okay, don't worry. Uh, new episodes are going to be out in a few weeks. Um, September 10th is what we've got on our calendar for the first official Pinkerton song. We're going to be starting with El Scorcho. It's going to be radical. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, I know that this season is going to be tough for some of you to hear because I have a lot of negative things to say about Pinkerton. Um, so please direct all of your hate mail to our Twitter because that's the one that Eric runs. Sorry, buddy. Bye.